Hey everybody, Jason Burmis here, and boy, I got a fun one for you today. I rarely get James Corbett of the CorbettReport.com, actually it's CorbettReport.com, on, but when I do get him on, it's always about a very important issue, and a couple months ago, Edward Snowden dropped a book. It was called Permanent Record. And right away, I reached out to James. I said, listen, I, I've seen your Edward Snow job video. I think there are some questions out there. There's some vast differences between how Julian Assange, per se, has been treated and what Edward Snowden has essentially been able to do. I then caught the Joe Rogan podcast where... Essentially, he had a platform for two-plus hours where Rogan interjected for maybe five to nine minutes max throughout the whole thing. And it was the first time I had really heard him hammer the importance of 9-11 and a post-9-11 world home so thoroughly for probably the first 45 minutes to an hour while kind of dismissing any ideas of quote-unquote conspiracy theories and especially when he was mentioning on the day of 9-11 where he was and how a lot of these facilities were sending their workers home, how he, he saw this as kind of like a bureaucratic mistake. But I know that I saw it as a way to control the situation immediately and put those who you want in investigative uh, positions and control positions so you can direct uh, what the narrative becomes. We're going to talk about all that, but James, you've read the book, CorbettReport.com. I mean, guys, it is probably one of the most well-researched uh, uh, channels out there. You know, he's got two separate YouTube channels. Um, I can only praise him so much, but the bottom line is it's tough to get him on because you work so damn hard, my man. <laughs> I mean, the stuff, the stuff you put out... Um, it is extremely thorough, and, and I'm just very, very happy uh, to get you on the program. So, James, take it from there. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for the kind words. And, yes, I did read the book, specifically Permanent Record by Edward Snowden. So I have now done more research for this conversation than Joe Rogan did in preparation for actually talking to Edward Snowden. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if someone who had, I don't know, at least read his book or at least knew something about Edward Snowden got the opportunity to interview Edward Snowden, as opposed to Joe Rogan. But anyway, whatever. Um, let's dive in. And, and I, when I was originally, when we first set up this interview, and uh, before I had read the book and dove into it, I thought, oh, a, maybe a pithy way to, to summarize it would be to say, oh, I read the book so you, didn't so you don't have to. But that's doubly wrong. One, because it's never my message that I've read this, so you shouldn't, you know, uh, trust me, I'll tell you everything you need to know. That's, in fact, the exact opposite of everything I stand for and everything I ever say. I'm always saying, no, you should read it for yourself. You should uh, come to your own conclusions. But secondarily, also because this book was surprising to me in that there was valuable information in there. And I don't want to throw babies out with bathwaters because there is bathwater, uh, there is baby here <laughs> in the bathwater. And uh, I know nuance is not something that goes over very well on the internet, um, but we'll attempt to do that in this conversation. So there's a lot to dissect here, but you're right. I mean, let's hone in, let's start with 9-11, which is, I don't know, I, I don't want to make it into a dogma, a cult, a church of you must believe this or else you, you know, I won't trust anything that ever comes out of your mouth. But 
it does seem like a good litmus for someone who has access to so many documents, who who brags about, or at least writes in voluminous detail about the amount of access that he had to the CIA's internal networks, the NSA's internal networks. He was looking for information of all sorts. And uh, how did he put it uh, in his book? According to Frank, the person he was working with at the time when he was a, a contractor working for whoever he was working for, but really it was the CIA. He had access to the CIA's internal networks at the time. He says, according to Frank, the first things everyone looks up on the CIA's internal networks are aliens and 9-11. And that's why, also according to Frank, you'll never get any meaningful search results for them, which sounds about right. Uh, I looked them up anyway. The CIA-flavored Google, which he's referring to the the fact that Google set up an internal search ne network for the CIA's internal network drives so that there's there is a Google for the CIA that is literally branded Google but and, it's it's to search inside and anyway that there because a um, lot of people don't you know I just dropped a story before this that uh, Google has now uh, the <coughs> records of uh, millions of Americans uh, Full health records, birth to, you know, now, all of it, uh, through Ascension, 21 states, etc. This is the Leviathan. This is why Google is yeah. also involved with NASA and mm -hmm. um, D-Wave and quantum computing and their space program. Yeah, exactly. This is the new yeah. technopoly, my man. And when you yeah. talk about that internal search engine, it shouldn't be a surprise to people you know, what was surprising to me is the way that kind of Snowden, at least in the interview, bragged about how, well, you might have thought you knew. But before I put these documents out, you didn't know that the Norris Insight Systems were, were uh, tracking, tracing, and databasing all this stuff. And in a way, he's right, and he even almost concedes that, well, if you were really following the news, I guess you could say you knew. So, like you were talking about, how do you throw out the baby with the bathwater? Because there is valuable yeah. information yeah, coming yeah, yeah. out. Well, right? let's get to that. But first, let's finish up this. He says, the CIA flavored Google didn't return anything interesting for either either aliens or 9-11. But hey, maybe the truth was out there on another network drive. For the record, as far as I could tell, aliens have never contacted Earth, or at least they haven't contacted U.S. intelligence. But Al-Qaeda did maintain un unusually close ties with our allies, the Saudis, a fact that the Bush White House worked suspiciously hard to suppress as we went to war with two other countries. All right, true, but not the whole story of 9-11, as I know you know. Um, he goes on to say, I was able to satisfy my every informational deficiency, and then some, in case you were wondering, yes, man really did land on the moon, climate change change is real. Chemtrails are not a thing. So make of that what you will. But okay, so baby and bathwater. Yes, absolutely. Um, both within the revelations, the revelatory documents that we've seen bits and snippets and slides and some images from over the years, over the six and a half years this has been going on. Can you believe it? Um, yeah, there is genuinely in, important information and real verifiable information about things that, yes, people could say in a general sense, yeah, the NSA is watching. Well, now we know certain uh, operational, programmatic, technological details of that. Um, if that's your thing, if you think that it's important to have that down, then there it is. So there is some baby there. Um, but what is the bathwater? I mean, that's the question. If we're going to drain this, what do we end up with and what goes down the drain? Edward Snowden, uh, who did not graduate high school, but he took the GEF or whatever. So he enlisted in the U U uh, U.S. Army Reserve as a special forces candidate. And he was in a special program that he writes about in uh, in the book, which, 
may or may not relate to the fact that his father was, I think, high up in the Coast Guard, and he even writes uh, to this day. I, I still don't know all the details of my father's career. Well, <laughs> so let me stop you there. There's some interesting things going because on. Because when we talked about the Special Forces thing, I didn't read the book, but just the way he was talking about it and how he he physically couldn't do it because his, uh, I guess, his squad mate was that much uh, bigger than him. <laughs> so he would easily throw Snowden over his back. But, see, that yeah. didn't ring... Like it could actually be true. And by the way, I want to say flick off. Thank you so much for that super sticker. We really do appreciate those donations. But for instance, let's say he was being true. Because he was like, oh, this is like a 200-pound guy. You know, I'm 135, 140 pounds. It doesn't seem like you'd last two days throwing that yeah. guy over, yeah, over exactly. your back. Yeah, he was running with uh, this 200-pound guy over his 200-plus-pound guy over his back. And he was about to step towards a snake. So he had to adjust <laughs> midair. And he lost his footing and broke both legs. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, there's as some you do. convolution and just in the storytelling. Right? I just want to put that out there for people. So go ahead. So go ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's one level at which we could start to become suspicious because uh, let's keep in mind Timothy McVeigh at least claimed that he didn't fail special forces training, uh, as officially happened. Um, that in fact he passed and was given a secret assignment. I mean, this was coming from McVeigh to his own letters to his sister. So make of that what you will. But and then there's the whole question of sheep dipping and all of that. Uh -huh. But there's the first level of interest uh, there. Anyway, so September 2004 breaks both his legs in training, so he doesn't complete the training and gets uh, discharged. Uh, 2005, he becomes a security specialist at the Center for Advanced Study of the Language of the University of Maryland. Interesting. 2006, joins the CIA after visiting a job fair. Uh -huh. um, goes through the whole security background. Through a proxy organization, not the CIA directly, right? One of their contractors, I believe, right? Exactly right, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he makes the point in the book specifically, uh, you could be working for one contractor one week, and they'll be taken over by another country, company the next week, and the only thing that changes is the name on the pay stub. You are working at the CIA for the CIA. It's just a sort of a fig leaf. I mean, it's just an extra level of bureaucracy to make sure that money goes into private hands, essentially. Um, May 2006, CIA secret school for technology specialists. March 2007, stationed at CIA office in Geneva. 2008, handpicked by the CIA to support the president at the 2008 NATO summit in Romania. Uh, keep in mind, at this point, he's got to be mid-20s. Uh, February 2009, resigns from the CIA, begins working as a contractor for Dell, which assigns computer, uh, manages computer systems for various agencies, including the NSA. He's assigned to NSA facility at y uh, Yokota Air Base near Tokyo. Uh, 2011, he returns to Maryland, uh, works on Dell's CIA account. 2012, reassigned by Dell to the NSA Information Sharing Office in Hawaii, which is where he begins his exfiltration of data from the NSA. And um, by 2013, the rest is history. We know he goes public. So that's at least the timeline of what we're looking at here. And there are some definite question marks all over that timeline. Uh, he does go in a lot of detail in the book through, you know, I was working here at this point, and this is what information I had access to and blah, blah, blah. And even some interesting details about um, when he was training to do his uh, stint at the embassy in Geneva, so he was going, I guess, he was directly employed by the State Department at that time. It was it was a State Department cover for an intelligence uh, job. But, you know, 99% of <laughs> diplomatic workers are really intelligence cover at this point. So, um, But he was going into detail about the special um, training facility that they had for what he was doing, the special, like, tech um 
tech uh, guru guy that they have at these different uh, embassies. And the, the training facility, which I, I think he, he says is still classified, but he goes into some detail about it. Anyway, there's a lot of interesting details about that. But there are big question marks for me, at, at least in this book, specifically when it comes to Okay, so he, he goes through the process of how he started exfiltrating the data, and he doesn't get into the specific of this is how I remove the, you know, the files, because yeah. he doesn't, you know, he, he, I think he says to protect the NSA. I think in the book he says, I don't want the, you know, the NSAs to be, to be hacked. Well, you know what, let's stop it right there, because that's the whole thing. We know that he has these files, right? But then there's only a portion of them, and he makes it a point, especially in the Rogan interview, to point out that he gave these <laughs> Uh, this access to certain media outlets outright. Now, Greenwald jumps on it, and I forget who the woman is who jumps on it. That you Laura Poitras. Yes, that, and that you end up having this Academy Award-winning documentary. What was it, Citizen Four? Yeah. You get a Hollywood film about the guy. Um, Oliver Stone. Yes, uh, called Snowden. And here's the thing. We've only seen a portion of these documents. Now, one could argue, James, I guess... You know, let's say, you know, he really is the most benevolent of all benevolent guys that maybe some of these documents that aren't public are still in his back pocket. And that's why he's been able to be like, oh, that's an argument people would make. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't necessarily. Um, make so his that. official story is that he wiped his laptop and destroyed his crypto key. Um, mm -hmm. So he even if he had some access to the documents, he can't access them anymore. That's the official story that he says. And. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, so, so that gets into the politics of, well, he was in Hong Kong and then he went to Russia on his way to Ecuador, obviously didn't make it to Ecuador. Yeah. So if he landed in Russia with the documents, then the Russians have the documents. So, you know, this is a big question and this is going to be a big part of when and if he ever gets on trial or whatever, all of that kind of rigmarole. But anyway, official story, he he wiped it clean and he doesn't have access to it anyway. He, he deleted his key. But who does have access to it? Glenn Greenwald, Laura Poitras. Um, Poitras was working with Gelman, Ed, Ed Gelman, I believe, um, with the Washington Post, I want to say. And I believe there was another journalist who had, who had the documents. But here's the, here's the big question mark, the big question mark in this book. He goes into a lot of detail of a lot of different parts of this. But when it gets to contacting the journalists and getting the journalistic ball rolling, things get really vague and sketchy. And there isn't much detail at all about that. And there are some big question marks regarding that, because as people have pointed out, there was this spring break of coding thing that was put on in March 2013 in Hawaii, when Snowden was in Hawaii, uh, before, theoretically, before he started the exfiltration and everything, where Jacob Applebaum, who is WikiLeaks connected and is by all accounts, a gigantic, blowhard, self-aggrandizing asshole who got Me Too'd before Me Too was a thing. Um, but anyway, um, he, he, there, it seems there was some connection there, and Snowden has been a big proponent of Tor, which, oh, by the way, has been shown time and time and time and time again. It was compromised here, it was compromised there. Oh, yeah, by the way, it was created by the United States Naval Intelligence. Crazy. I mean, it's got U.S. It still receives funding from the U.S. government. But, guys, this is totally the way you should secure your information. This, to me, this is the biggest part of the bathwater, because... Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the in the Snowden information and, and the revelations. And as I say, even some of the points that he makes here about how vulnerable your data and information is and how how easy it is for the NSA to gain access to this and that and, and the other. But then 
it's always the question of, okay, here's the information, what's the hangout? The solutions. The solutions is always where it becomes problematic, and specifically in Snowden's case, where he has pumped uh, and pimped Signal as a secure network, which we now know it, it is not, and uh, there are many ways, and various ways in which uh, data and information is compromised there, and, uh, and Tor, similarly compromised and with U.S. government sources and funding. So let's put it this way. Spoiler alert. I'm not going to come out with the, and, you know, here's the proof that Snowden is working and this is all a, hot, a psyop. I mean, I don't have that proof. Neither do you. Neither does anyone listening to this conversation. And if they do, please share it. I'd love to see it. But um, the, the proof is in the pudding with a lot of these things. And I think that's where we go. Let's look at the other aspect of this, which is if this is a hangout and a psyop, why on earth would the intelligence community spill the beans and let people know about all these different various ways that they're being listened to? And uh, I think the I think it answers itself when you play this out. But I actually want to play a little game with you, um, Jason, because I have an I have an experiment. Uh-huh. Uh, so we all know uh, there were tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of documents in this Snowden stash. Uh, Glenn Greenwald is exceptionally evasive and will not answer that question because he says he has to protect his source. Uh So whatever that means. Anyway, there are bajillions and bajillions of slides and images and and documents. And it's been reported seven ways to Sunday. And uh, there was a term that was coined back at the start of this uh, called the Snowden effect, and I can't remember. It was uh, I can't remember who's coined that, but it, basically, it was the idea that Snowden was going to. This was in mid two thousand thirteen. Uh, Snowden was going to blow open the doors. We're going to have all these whistleblowers coming out as a result of this. There's going to be massive changes in government and and huge scandals, and it's going to change the world. Well, okay, let's let's do a little test. Jason, how many specific programs or technologies that Snowden's documents have revealed that can you name? Not only, let me say this, not only can't I really name that, in the Rogan interview, he actually offsets the idea that they can access your phone's camera. He said he wasn't aware of those types of technologies. <laughs> Remember that? He did. I mean, did he, he say actually, that in the Rogan interview? You know, during the Rogan interview, and it was really off-putting to me, he said, you know, I'm not aware of those where they're accessing this or that. And we already know from the Vault 7 leaks that are yeah. separate from Snowden, they absolutely employ those methods. That's crazy. I've got to hear that in context, because in the book, he writes about how that was his final position at the NSA. He was watching people on their webcam in real time. Well, and he, he writes wasn't so much that. the webcams. He was talking about third-party devices. So in other words, not your webcam, uh, but he was talking right, about right, this right, right here, or he was talking about maybe your yeah. Connect at home, and, and those type of things, your tablet. And he said basically without the LED yeah. coming on, so he said he didn't have any idea of yeah. accessing Again, that. Yeah, again, he, was, he writes about that in the book. He writes about doing that in the book. Interesting. Um, on people's desktops, on people's laptops, he was watching people, and he wrote, writes about it. Yeah, so see, I don't, I don't I, know what, what he was saying. I don't him. think that uh, I'm misquoting him there. I remember watching the whole thing. I did a, yeah. a pretty big video Great. on it after the fact. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, I'd have to look through the transcript or whatever, but I'm pretty sure I'm being accurate there. So that's troubling to me. And, and you're yeah. right. I want... Real documentation. Now, on the positive side, you know, he did reveal that as far back, I believe it was either a 2013 or, or, or was it? No, no, I'm sorry. It was a 2000, I think, 8 document that he said he had looked up. And instead of just a redacted version of a document, which we often see, that they had actually replaced <laughs> it 
with a completely different document. Now, yeah. this puts into question any release of documentation yeah. by the government in the last decade plus, which I don't yeah. think is an effect most people feel. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, you're right. And I can't I can't remember the name of the document or what he uh, but he was talking about the classified versus the unclassified version of the report on the wiretapping program and essentially, you know, its origins and everything. And he said, that, yeah, he says the unclassified version isn't just a redacted version of the classified. It's a completely different document and the cl uh, classified version um, talked about uh, the origins, the real origins of the program and how what they were doing and how it was completely utterly illegal and blah blah blah. And this is and he was framing it to Rogan like this is what you know, set me on a path. This is when I had to decided that I was going to do what I was going to do or whatever, the way he framed it to Rogan, which is interesting because it hardly makes any appearance in the book at all. I think it might have written about it for one page. But anyway, um, <coughs> you're exactly right. I mean, it does raise the question, classified versions of reports versus unclassified versions. If they're literally different documents, completely different with different information in it, in, then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> can we trust anything that comes out of the government? The answer, of course, is no. No, you can't. Um, well, and this I, is an object lesson in that. But uh, I think where I'm going with the Snowden effect and, uh, you know, putting you on the spot, sorry for that. But, no, no. but it, is, it is a point because um, uh, there are some things that have come out that I think made news and that you'd recognize. The PRISM program, for example, was part of one of the first major revelations, revelations of the Snowden uh, documents. And that, that is an important story. And, uh, you know, it was reported widely. Uh, the, uh, the metadata was one of the big themes that came out of this. They have access to all the metadata, all the metadata. And it became about metadata. And that became an overarching, in fact, that was the first Snowden story that was reported, and it became one of the overarching narratives. They have access to all the metadata. They, you know, who's, who's this addressed to, and, and who received it, and what time they read it, and blah, blah, blah. How, how many minutes you talked on the phone, that kind of thing. But I find it exceptionally interesting, and I found it interesting from day one, because I remember... I want to say it was just before um, Snowden came on the scene that I had, uh, I want to look it up. Anyway, I, I had something uh, about the NSA just before Snowden came on the scene because, yes, yes, blowing the whistle people who preceded Snowden as NSA whistleblowers and who had dropped essentially everything that, you know, Snowden, yeah, we have some documents and we can we can find it, but uh, we can see it. But these people had already talked about all of the aspects of what he was talking about, and then some, because it was in uh, May 1st, 2013, I think. Uh, let's check it. You yep. have, uh, May 1st, 2013. CNN. Actually, April 17th. Yeah, I, I'm, but I'm talking on May 1st, 2013, CNN had a segment on Aaron Burnett's show. Um, where they were talking about the widows of the Boston bombers and blah, blah, blah. And uh, it, it, here's this phone conversation that this widow was having, and we know about it, blah, blah, blah. Aaron Burnett was talking to FBI source Tim Clemente, an ex-intelligence official who, you know, are they ever really ex? But anyway, and Clemente kind of let it slip on air or, uh, you know, whatever, however they want to frame it. Uh, where he says, oh, the, you know, we know what she said in that con phone call, blah, blah, blah. And so Aaron Burnett stopped him in that interview and said, wait, 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 wait. So this was a voicemail? And he's like, no, 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 this was a conversation she was having in real time with this other person. And we know she said blah, blah, blah. And Aaron Burnett says, um, Sam, is there any way, obviously, there is a voicemail that they can try to get uh, the phone companies to give up at this point. It's it's not a voicemail. It's just a conversation. 
there's no way they can actually find out what happened, right? Unless she tells them. And Clemente says, no, there is a way. We certainly have ways in national security investigations to find out exactly what was said in that conversation. It's not necessarily something that the FBI is going to want to present in court, but it may help lead the investigation and or lead the questioning of her. We certainly can find that out. And Burnett says, so they can actually get that? People are saying, look, that's incredible. And he says, no, welcome to America. All that stuff is being captured as we speak, whether we know it or, or like it or not. Um, so in May 2013, it was revealed on CNN, in case there was any doubt, not only do they have metadata, 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 they literally can listen to any and can play back any phone call that has happened in the past. They can go back. Any American, anywhere in America, anyone talking to anyone, can, they can listen to that conversation because they have the entire phone call, the conversation recorded and stored. And they were talking about this openly on CNN in May of 2013, which was significant because as I later talked to Russ Tice, one of the NSA whistleblowers who's almost been completely swept under the rug, no one talks about him anymore. Uh, he was the one who said, yes, the NSA could and did uh, eavesdrop on Supreme Court justices and uh, military generals. And oh, yeah, uh, then state senator Barack Obama, before he became president, was already being wiretapped by the NSA. He revealed all of that. He also said, when I saw that on CNN, I knew what we, uh, he's talking about himself and some of the other NSA whistleblowers, Benny and others, um, that, that, that were in contact with each other. They had been watching the development of that new data center in Utah that was reported on uh, in Wired by James Bamford in 2012. This gigantic data center. What could they possibly be using it for? The implication was, oh, they found, yeah, they've got everything. They've got every email, every phone call. They're storing it. It's there. When they And Russ Tice says, when, when I saw that on CNN in 2013, I knew it was up and operational. They were doing it. And that's how I knew. One month later, Snowden comes out and metadata, metadata, it's all about metadata. So th this is where my mind goes. If this is some sort of limited hangout psyop, where is this going? It's to deflect from the real meat and potatoes. We're not talking about metadata. We're not talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, text messages. We're talking about literally every communication that goes on in the world being stored has been being stored for at least, well, six, seven years now. James. Um, and I'm, that's on the record. I'm going to go further um, so that than that. that's where my mind goes with all of this. I, I, see, I'm going to go further. I think my, my mind goes way further than that. So now we're not only talking about the storage of that data, and I'm not saying in every case, but I'm saying that this is it. They're building profiles, algorithmic profiles on people, and the next step, aside because now they've also got all that metadata on your Siri, Okay, for years and years and years, and those that have the Amazon Echo and the Google Home, and again, if they're accessing other devices, hey, I got an Xbox. Uh, you know, my my computer has a microphone on it all the time. They may they may even be going that far. I'm not going to accuse them of that yet. I think the stuff that we're put, put publicly putting out now, with the medical data we just found out about, now they're going to have your medical data, and the next step are these portal devices. So Facebook's putting out par portal. I forget what Google's putting out. So now this is actually a facial recognition device that's going to follow you around. They're suggesting you put it in the kitchen. They're not only going to have your habits in your house, but your dietary habits on top of everything and how often you're there and your interactions with family. I think this is the building of not only a social credit score, but a personality profile and to further 
what even uh, FDR said back in the day when he was warning about Hitler and his new order. Basically, the regimentation of all human beings. That's the yeah. real. That's where mine go- my mind goes. Uh, tell Not me just wrong. the regimentation. I'll take it a step further. <laughs> it is ultimately for predictive analysis. And we know this because it has been revealed. I did a report in 2012 on the sentient world simulation, which... And I'll read from the report. The program's aim, according to its creator, is to be a continuously running, continuously updated mirror model of the real world that can be used to predict and evaluate future events and courses of action. It's based at Purdue University in Indiana, the Synthetic Environment for Analysis and Simulations Laboratory, blah, 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 DARPA involvement. uh, Went under the table uh, a couple of years after it was announced. Never heard of again, but it exists. It's out there. They are already build and that was that was a decade ago at this point more than a decade i think it was 2007 that was first really uh, revealed um they've been building the real time continuously updated real model of every person that they have any kind of data record for they have an algorithmic model of you running in this system which they then use for predictive analysis well if we do this what will happen here and can you imagine how much more advanced that is a decade later um, given the amount of raw data processing power that we know that DARPA is working with in the in the skunk works. I mean, this is this really does go so much further than the average person can even conceive that, uh, yeah, to, to, to center the conversation about metadata and they passed some kind of legislation or something. And, uh, you know, we got sick of it and moved on. You know, I'm glad you brought that, up DARPA. Since we're talking about all these crazy facilities, I don't know if you've been following this story, but they're kind of online joking about uh, their underground lair. They've been asking for an urban environment that they have kind of like this open miles of thing. And this is a, a tweet from like five or six days ago. Let's, let's see if we can get the thread going here. Um, but, you know, these data centers, you know, are, are just part of the thing. You know what I mean? If you look at this, they actually put out the ad. I actually tweeted it out when they did that. But they're looking for a, the subterranean challenge urban circuit. <laughs> so they're looking for a large urban area to put some kind of, I don't know. But I would say it has to do with surveillance and this surveillance state. And we've only seen a very small portion of it through a, a, a certain lens, right? Yeah, and, and exactly guess- right. And let's let's so let's put the lens on. Let's get it into focus. Because what we're talking about when we talk about surveillance does sound like this passive kind of thing and oh you know maybe we need it to keep us safe or that kind of nonsense anyway it puts it in that frame when what we're talking about as you know it isn't it isn't surveillance in some sort of passive sense it is literally about molding and shaping and determining human behavior and when that is done with the amount of data that they have about you they know more about you than you know about yourself because your devices do not forget anything that you have ever done and can piece it together in ways that you can't possibly, with your conscious mind, uh, do yourself. But, uh, you know, I I can only speculate as to how far advanced this technology is, but we don't have to speculate very far to see how this technology can be used to literally shape public opinion, public behavior. And when you put it into that context, this isn't about surveillance in some sort of passive way. This is about what it means to be a human being, to to even have the 
possibility to be a free agent to act in this world as you would naturally do. What does that even mean? Well, you're in a manipulated environment in a context and they've wargamed 18,000 different variables for every moment of your life. And well, if we do this, then this person will probably react this way. And it, it, it's, it's absolutely nightmare bonkers level stuff. And it gets spun away into these conversations about this particular, oh, well, if we adjust the FISA act this way, then it'll all be good. Uh, people are missing the bigger picture of all of this. I, I completely agree. And, and to bring it home for the for the comparison level of <coughs> Julian Assange right now, for instance, you know, I, I like I said, I don't think he's holding out information. The new hot term uh, in the conspiracy circuit or the alt circuit is dead man switch. I've never bought into a, you know the quote unquote dead man switch theory on anybody because I've never seen it used in practice. I've never seen somebody able to point in fact well. They had the dirt on and they were able to get it out somehow, some way. That dirt just ends up getting swept into the rug and the bits and pieces and crumbs guys like you and I put together have to be, you know, have, a, have to have a lens put on them where it's shined on in a certain way where people can maybe look at it in that manner. So Assange right now, under a nonsense 14-page indictment, it looks like extradition is inevitable if, he survives in prison where he's basically being held in solitary confinement 23 out of 24 hours. Uh, the last time he was seen fit in court uh, several weeks ago, he could barely remember his name. It kind of gave him that platform. I was most interested in that. But everybody else in the mainstream kind of went with those sound bites that we, we only kind of scraped the surface of. So, so could you point out some of the differences and why you think those things are? Well, I mean, yeah, on the Snowden note, yeah, n well, literally nothing gets published from any IC official, former or current, without IC intelligence community approval. I mean, that does not happen. The publisher would never publish that, and it would never get published. So, at some level, this has been approved, and... Yes, he continues to make his PR appearances by a, you know, telepresence robot on the TEDx stage or whatever it is. You know, you've seen all of that nonsense. So, um, yes, there is clearly, and as you say, Hollywood movies and all of these things being made uh, to glorify Edward Snowden and what he did. So there's clearly a lot of infrastructure around Edward Snowden. And, um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm probably not going to say what you want me to say about Assange. Um, he's pure as the driven snow and uh, uh, we can trust ev either. everything he says. But here's, he, here's yeah. the nuance I want to bring. It is possible uh, for Snowden and Assange or Assange. I mean, I don't know, but it is possible for them to be agents of an agenda that they do not know that they are agents for. And as agents of an agenda that they are, and here is the precedent we are setting in court. That's why we have to defend against what is happening to Assange right now, because this is the precedent they are going to use against anyone ever for ever doing anything, you know, publishing anything that's uh, uncomfortable well, for the well, intelligence community. Well, let me just say community. this. Let me, let me give the big difference in my <coughs> mind, at least on the surface, right? Like you just said, we never saw a document come out of, or, or, or very selective few documents of the documents we found out about, right? So everything that was talked about in the media, we didn't get all the documents on those, but then we didn't even hear about some of the stories or the documents in the Snowden case. Everything that Assange has published has been real, and they are actual documents, and they do expose corruption on various uh, levels. How much media attention they get is, uh, you know, subject to speculation. I do find it very interesting that both of these guys, I don't know if you've seen, because I've seen Assange even come around to 9-11 truth 
just before things really heated up. There's actually, I did a video probably almost a year ago where he gets asked uh, about 9-11. And he says, you know, he, he gives a very different answer to what he was giving uh, at the yeah. time. But he also, in this interview, in, in the Ruptly uh, lecture that's about an hour long. He says he gets into it thinking about the aliens. All these guys are thinking about the aliens for some reason. And I, and I guess, you know, for me, it's definitely a subject that's kind of intriguing. And maybe I got started on as a kid, you know, with um, fascinations with Star Wars and E.T. and then the UFO craze and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think there's also a heavy amount of disinformation in that field. And when we talk about surveillance and transhumanism and the next step in this track, trace, and database society, I can't help but think of a guy like Elon Musk who's pushing yeah. this theory that we're in a simulation or we're in yeah. the multiverse, we're not in base And in reality. order to defeat transhuman agenda, we all have to, well, put neuro, Neuralink brain chips in our head and, and we have to wire ourselves in. Program. And that way we'll beat the transhuman agenda somehow. Exactly, and he's key. he keeps up with this SpaceX with rocket ships, but at the end of the day, what are these rocket ships putting up? They're putting up satellites. He put up 60 satellites, Starlink yeah. satellites. They're not putting humans on Mars, James, but he sure is putting... Brit not yet, ships. but by 2022 or whatever his <laughs> latest plan is. You know, well, I'm holding my breath. Oh. We'll see it uh, when it comes. But no, um, and an important thing to note about Musk, he is literally the grandson of one of the higher-ups in the technocracy movement from the 1930s. If people don't know about that, just look up an article that I wrote a few months ago on uh, Elon's Martian technocracy. Um, that goes into that crazy history, um, including the fact, I'll just put this out there because I think it's funny, uh, the, uh, Werner von Braun, everybody's favorite Nazi, NASA, Nazi, NASA, NASA, Nazi, um, was, uh, wrote uh, a book about uh, the colonization of Mars and the future governor of Mars, the title of that will not be president, it will not be emperor, it will not be prime minister, it's Elon, <laughs> literally, E-L-O-N. Anyway, <laughs> make of that what you will. But, um, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, that is a bizarre... Yeah, everyone... And I understand natural fascination with aliens and stuff, but you're so right. That is just littered and infested with disinformation everywhere. And look at the To the Stars Academy and all of that stuff. Oh that's my coming god, out. we and could have clearly... a whole show on that. You know, the, the, the yeah. fact that the History Channel not only pushes their nighttime agenda, but now has tried to legitimize it with this guy... Lizondo guy that's like, I got the intel. Listen for your time, man. I've already held you for like 40 plus minutes. You know, I know I, 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 what do you want to wrap this up on? Because we've talked about a lot of things. I could go on forever with you on transhumanism, on Musk. These are yeah. all subjects that I think are extremely fascinating. I got a couple of super chats I'll get to after James goes, but I want to utilize this time. I, you know, other than talking about that, I also want to ask you, when are we getting the World War II Hitler bio that i've been waiting for forever you know I, I i can't wait on that just give me a little wrap up my man yeah all right well uh keep waiting that's all i can say it'll come <laughs> when it's ready um but on yeah we have barely even scratched the surface of all the layers of this and there's there's a whole other conversation that we can and maybe should have about about things like the wikileaks version of this versus the snowden version and what WikiLeaks really an alternative version anyway, because they did partner with the near arms of the U.S. government. You're not the aim. And I mean, there's 8,000 different levels of analysis here, one of which I will just point people. And 
it was no less an authority than Big New himself, uh, Big New pr- conspiracy theorist Brzezinski, who said, you know, I, I have to wonder who's seeding WikiLeaks and could it be a foreign intelligence operation or at least can they put uh, documents out there uh, in through something like WikiLeaks in order to legitimize them, which, uh, fair enough. I mean, that is a possibility. And it also goes back to a conversation I had with John Young back when uh, WikiLeaks was first breaking uh, breaking big, John Young of Cryptome.org, or as most people will know it as, what? <laughs> I mean, who's ever heard of Cryptome? What do they ever publish? Actually, that's a huge repository of incredibly important and documents that you've never seen in the world. And was Assange's original partner, right? He was approached by the WikiLeaks people at the beginning to to be a partner, and he said no, because he saw them going out and saying, we're going to raise a million dollars and we're going to do blah, 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 big PR, and he said, whoa, this isn't how... This is how this works. So if you're doing a PR push, you're not doing this in the right way for the right reasons. And he distanced himself from it at the time. Um, And you can go and listen to my conversation about that. But I I think one of his points is when you try to sex it up, it's a leak. Oh, it must be important information because it's a leak. When you're actually just putting out internal government propaganda that maybe they wanted some of this out there and maybe some other stuff in or whatever the case may be. I mean, we there's so many different layers to that well, analysis. I think, you know, there Same are, thing with Snowden. There are opposing, um, I would say, agendas out there. And there mm-hmm. are tit for tats within you know, the FBI itself or the CIA itself, the NSA, yeah. these subdivisions, yeah. right? These Kissinger mm-hmm. Institutes, the Straffers of the world. And it's funny that you bring up Sabigny Brzezinski. Because now I have to bring this up today. You know, those Ukrainian trials today, the opening statements of George Kent, he actually not only invoked Brzezinski, but Kissinger as well, speaking on the uh, post-Cold War policies in the Ukraine and how they were great. And basically how... Yeah, let me guess. Yeah, he was putting it in the context of bipartisan support, right? (laughs) From Brzezinski to Kissinger. That's allowable opinion right there. A a man, Brzezinski, who I have in my film Invisible Empire talking about the -the over-the-table and the -the under-a-table arrangements between governments. Meanwhile, we have this show trial where there's kind of like an over-the-table agreement that you're going to be able to continue your investigation you already had against a guy that made an under-the-table agreement and a threat to get rid of a a prosecutor, right? And it's all on video, and it's been flipped upside down into some weird, wacky fucking Netflix special. Like, I don't know what to say, James. We live in a wacky time where it is. We're in the post-truth world, baby. Deep fakes are real. Surveillance is real. Limited hangout is real. Don't trust anybody. Uh, the Corbett, or I'm sorry, CorbettReport.com is the website. This is about the most insightful uh, review of that book you will get. I promise that. Go check out Blowing the Whistle on the NSA over that website. Uh, James, anything else you want to say? Well... While I'm at it, let me plug another uh, podcast, Meets Big New Brzezinski Conspiracy Theorist, where I put together a lot of the things Big New Brzezinski said over the years that um, was, if in if it came from me or you or anyone else, it would be conspiracy theorizing. But when it comes from Brzezinski, I guess it's okay. So there you yep. go. No, he's an, uh, he's an authoritative figure. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Google has found him as an authoritative figure. James Corbett, apparently you're not. Well, he was. Yeah, Rest well, in was. Pieces, yeah. Big New. I, Listen, his stuff's going to last. The grand chessboard's going to last. Unfortunately, I mean, when you look at a war on terror that's 18 years, that's a legacy, folks. 
And he had a lot to do with that legacy. He's a founder of the Trilateral Commission with David Rockefeller from another group, the Bilderberg Group, that's founded in these globalist ideals and really has pushed Operation us Cyclone, if we stirred up a few Muslim crazies and, and, and caused a 9-11, it was worth it. Yeah, we it, we toppled the Soviet Union. Yeah, hey, hey, we toppled. The, I mean, Khalid Al Madar. I mean, we might have protected him and Walid Al Shiri and all these guys through our agencies, but yeah, no, no big deal. No big deal. James Corbett, a pleasure as always. Hopefully, I will get you on sometime in the next few months, even few weeks. Who knows? Who knows what's going on? But it's always a pleasure, my man. I had fun with you on the Epstein podcast, and I love what you do. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, brother. All right, folks, I'm going to go over uh, these super chats. Josh Freeman says, Snowden is sus. Uh, mannerisms, cadence, and complete vibe are strange to me, as if he's reading from a script. Uh, then there's the living condition compared to Assange's thoughts, Bermsbreed. We covered all that. Thank you, brother. Brian Telford, thank you so much for the super chat. Let's see if this freezes the chat again. My mother is not a conspiracy theorist, yet she loves the Corbett Report. Sorry, Jason, it must be his manner. I love the Corbett Report, too. Listen, different strokes for different folks. I love that James is in it to win it. We need more people like him. But if you want to see something that's a little more toned down, Burmis, watch my documentary films. I'm not as in your face. I've got a very straight tone in Loose Change Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, A New World Order Defined, and Shade the Motion Picture. All available free right here. Thumbs this video up on the way out. If you like this content, if you like a long-form interview with a very intelligent person who's well-read and well-studied, you know, we do this. Several times a week sometimes uh, with great guests and great insight. I'm trying to do it three to seven times a day on subjects that matter that are not about left or right. They're about right and wrong. And uh, please subscribe if you're not a member of the Burmese Brigade. Let's hit 40000 You want to financially support me? That's how you do it. We, we did $5 today. I appreciate it, Ian Gifford. Every little bit counts. I love you guys, and I will see you on the flip side.